The name is synonymous with genius. In fact, Mozart lived in an age of genius, during the peak of the Enlightenment. He was born in 1756, a time when Europe was living in a spirit of moderate peace. There was a great intellectual flowering happening all over Western civilization at this time. Philosophers like Voltaire and Rousseau, Adam Smith and Immanuel Kant were building a new system of political and scientific thought. The monarchs of Europe were embracing arts and sciences. The world was becoming much more open and liberal than it had been, and the well-established colonies in the New World and trade with Asia were bringing vast wealth and opulence to Europe. Indeed, the West was on the cusp of revolution, and it was at this time of revolution that Mozart took Europe by storm. In this episode, we'll explore the life of Mozart and his final composition, Requiem in D, with Dr. Thomas Leibniz, director of the Austrian National Library's music collection. I'm Michael Bagdasian. This is Curated. To learn a bit more about Mozart, I traveled to Vienna, where I met with Dr. Thomas Leibniz. I'm a director of the Department of Music since 2002. This uh, department of music uh, contains music in, in written uh, form. So manuscripts, printed music, books on music, musical estates, um, a little collection of sound recordings. Leopold Mozart started to notice his son's special musical abilities early on. At age five, Mozart was already composing his own pieces. Leopold himself was an established musician, having written a book on how to play the violin. His father was a musician, a very good musician, composer, very gifted violin player. So he packed up Mozart and his sister Nannerell, and off they went, touring all around Europe for courtly nobles, church officials, and impressing skeptics of Mozart's special abilities. Mozart was able to play blindfolded. He could improvise in any key. He could play the violin, viola, and keyboard instruments such as the harpsichord and the organ. Uh, Mozart was a child prodigy, and uh, he was presented by his father to the to the public of, of Europe, uh, perhaps, but this is only a, a theory. Uh, Mozart got rather self-conscious by, by, by these youths and by these journeys, so he was not fond uh, of, of, of the status of a servant mm. in, the, in the chapel of Salzburg, for example. To give you an idea of Mozart's early life, here was his schedule right at the beginning of his career in October 1762 
when Mozart was only six years old. Friday, October the 1st, Mozart gave his first public concert. Two days later, another concert. And three more concerts for the next week. On the 13th, he was received at Schönbrunn Palace, where he was greeted by Emperor Francis I. There he met Marie Antoinette and performed another concert. I asked Dr. Leibniz what the typical life of an artist during the Enlightenment was like. My opinion, uh, the typical lifestyle of a musician, of a musician in this time, was uh, to be employed, to be member of a chapel, of a court chapel, um, of. Uh, um, chapel of, of aristocrats and, and so on. Uh, so the life of Mozart was not quite typical for this time because uh, in his uh, early years he was employee of the Salzburg court mm-hmm. of, the, of the Archbishop of, of Salzburg but uh, in the early 80s he uh, ended this uh, this service and he got independent in contrary for example to to Joseph Haydn who was an employee of the Esterhazy court uh, till he was old 8 years later when Mozart was 14 and visiting the Vatican he heard an exclusive performance of a piece called Miserere by a composer named Allegri. Curiously, the Vatican had made this piece exclusive property, never to be performed outside the walls of St. Peter's. However, after hearing it only twice, he was able to write the entire piece from memory. Rather than being punished, the Pope, Clement XIV, commended him. But does that prove his genius? It's possible other musicians of that day would also have been able to achieve this. I'm not sure that, that this is a proof uh, for genius, that this is uh, a special ability. And I would guess that uh, some, some musicians of, of his time were, were able to do this without being a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very hard to to define it. Uh, certainly, you you know the the uh, work for stage or the the, the, the film Amadeus, and uh, the, uh, this question is is discussed. There is uh, Salieri shown as a composer without being a genius. That's uh, not quite uh, fair towards uh, the, the real Salieri, who was a good composer. But uh, it was necessary to, 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 to show the contrast. Uh, uh, average composer and uh, a singer, uh, a genius. And 
it's hard to define it. It, it, it is to be felt. Dr. Leibniz believes that the best evidence we have for Mozart's genius, other than his compositions, are the statements we have for Mozart's contemporaries. People felt it. Uh, the, the publishers felt it. Uh, the, the patrons felt it. Mm-hmm. There was a was a common opinion, mm-hmm. and uh, it is a strange thing that, especially after Mozart's death, uh, this opinion began to grow, and. Some years after Mozart's death, after Mozart's death, uh, the whole world was convinced uh, Mozart has been a single genius. However, for all of Mozart's natural talents and his well-connected father, Mozart had quite a difficult life. Often touring for months at a time, young Wolfgang grew up being paraded around from city to city at a time when the only option was by horse and carriage. He was often struck with illness. Later, his wife Costanza was also quite often sick and spent much of her time visiting health spas. He had cash flow issues, Maintaining his lifestyle while being a freelance composer was not easy. Though he could make far and above the average annual salary in one night, the next month he would then have to beg from friends and benefactors to pay his bills. Additionally, four out of six of his children died. Through all of these ups and downs, he was constantly composing, conducting, and touring, rarely taking any significant breaks. Certainly the first years in in Vienna were were high points. Mozart uh, gave uh, concerts. He had a lot of uh, pupils. He sold his uh, music uh, to to publishers. And uh, this uh, good development lasted for, for... a couple of years, and then we have uh, this this strange crisis in, in the last year and uh, last years. Uh, it's not so easy to to find an explanation for it because uh, Mozart was not ill and he he continued uh, to, to to compose. Um, the is the theory that he was a player. And it's uh, possible, and uh, unfortunately it is usual uh, to, to, to lose um, big sums. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, is, it is possible that it, that was Mozart's problem. Gambling. Gambling, yes. Yeah. In 1791, Mozart was only 35 years old and in failing health. A mysterious messenger dressed in grey came to Mozart's house in Vienna and offered him a commission. Mozart was desperate for money at this moment. He agreed. The commission was to be a requiem mass for the dead. In fact, the messenger had been sent by an eccentric Count 
Franz von Walsig. Walsig was a music enthusiast, and he was interested in procuring a work of Mozart's to pass off as his own composition. At the time, the young Count was only 28 years old, and grieving his wife, 20-year-old Anna, who had recently passed away. Yes, the Requiem is the uh, perhaps most uh, famous manuscript uh, held by our library. And uh, it's interesting that, that there are two scores. Uh, in the original, uh, there are single volumes. In, in these facsimile editions, they are bound together, but there are two. Um, the Requiem was what's ordered by a music lover, Graf Weizsäck, uh, who liked to order compositions and to pretend to, to, to be the composer himself. Uh, was his hobby, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to call it in this way. And um, he ordered from Mozart a requiem after the death of, of his wife, and uh, he planned to, to pretend to, to, to have written this, this requiem. So it was an anonymous order, and uh, it was paid very well, uh, 100 Dukaten, gold uh, coins, and uh, Mozart wrote it uh, in his last life, uh, in his last year of, of his life, in 1791. Mozart accepted the Requiem Commission from the anonymous messenger, unknowing he had been sent by von Walsig, and Mozart began work on the Requiem. However, he wasn't able to finish it himself. But he interrupted the composition because in this year he also composed uh, the, the Magic Flute and, for example, the clarinet concerto. These were interruptions in the work of the, in, on the Requiem. And so he didn't complete it. Only the first uh, two movements, the uh, Introitus Requiem Eternam and the, the Curie was completed by him. And uh, there were only sketches of the other parts, and three movements uh, were were not uh, present, uh, didn't exist. And in this situation, uh, the widow of Mozart, Constanze, uh, ordered Mozart's pupil, Franz Xaver Süßmeier, to complete the, the Requiem. And uh, Süßmeier took the completed parts by Mozart's, by Mozart's hand, and he added his his own uh, uh, completion, including the last uh, three movements. And this score was given to Graf Walsäck. And uh, the other parts, uh, the sketches, the the fragments uh, remained in, in Vienna and they were also bound in this time the Imperial Library had the, 
had, uh, who was very interested in, in music, Count Dietrichstein, and he acquired both, uh, on the one hand, uh, the, the sketches, and on the other hand, uh, the, the complete score uh, in the possession of the heirs of, 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 of Graf Balzac. The Requiem is composed in eight parts. It was to be performed as a liturgical mass. That is, it was meant to follow the standard flow of worship during a Catholic church service. In this time, uh, every requiem was uh, a part of, of liturgy. Uh, perhaps uh, Mozart's requiem is, is uh, the, the first uh, requiem work, uh, which also was performed in, in concert. And uh, this is a development typically for the 19th century. In the course of the, of the century, we have the requiems by Cherubini or by Berlioz or by Verdi. And they are not works for liturgy, but works for the concert hall. Mm -hmm. Mozart was able to complete the introit, Kyrie, and offertory sections, and some of the lacrimosa. In fact, as Mozart lay dying, performers gathered around his bed and sang the lacrimosa section. There were singers around his bed where he died, and they had a little rehearsal of, of the requiem during the last days or perhaps during the last minutes. Following Mozart's death, the Requiem remained unfinished. His wife employed a former protege of Mozart, named Sussmeyer, to complete the composition so it could be delivered back to the mysterious messenger in order to collect the final payment of the commission. Dr. Leibniz kindly offered to show me an exact facsimile of the manuscript. One of the pages is noticeably torn at the bottom right corner. In fact, in 1958, the Requiem was placed on display at a World's Fair in Brussels. An unknown person was able to tear off a small souvenir, thought to be the last words Mozart ever wrote. Thankfully, just some musical notation. Mozart's autograph remains intact on the work. After the exhibition, the world uh, exhibition of 1958 in, in Brussels, the requiem was examined and uh, the last page written by, by Mozart uh, is this is the facsimile, but it's very carefully reproduced, yes, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. corner of the page is lacking. We may guess uh, that these were really the last uh, words written by Mozart. So the, the person who ripped this corner was very well informed. Mozart's autograph remains intact on the original manuscript.
The manuscript itself is housed at the Austrian National Library, though not on view to the public. Most highly regarded and legendary pieces of music ever written. The words from the Lacrimosa come from a medieval Latin poem and have a long history of being used in Catholic memorial services. They describe Judgment Day. Full of tears will be that day, when from the ashes shall arise the guilty man to be judged. Therefore spare him, O God, merciful Lord Jesus. Grant them eternal rest. Amen. Thank you for listening to Curated. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, please consider supporting it at Patreon. A couple dollars a month will help deliver to you high-quality content. My vision for this show is to bring out informative and interesting conversations about history, art, and culture. Additionally, please like and subscribe to the show on social media. You can find Curated on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for Curated FM or at curatedcast.com. Thanks again for listening, and tune back next time for another episode of Curated. <laughs>